August 24, 2020, it's a lot from Pedro's show.
For Pedro Show, happy Monday. I think it's the last Monday for this. Is it for the month? I think so. We're getting close on September. Summer's almost done, right? Labor Day. We're hobbling that. Start off the show with John Coltrane doing uh, that stuff they found, you know, up in that attic. Uh, two directions at once. And this is Untitled Original 11386. And uh, pretty incredible. His birthday's coming up in a few weeks. And then the healers after that, Band-Aid. Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto. Pleasure point a couple miles south here. But I ain't man alone totally because through the magic of those engineers in Estonia with their Skype software. I got Jamie O'Connor with me from Salt Village, Illinois. Welcome aboard, Jamie. Thanks for uh, doing this, Mike. Oh, my, my pleasure. You know, uh, I don't know how much Healer's music I've been playing on the show, but it's buttloads. It, yeah. It's, well, I, there was the last six and a half years was a whole lot of sitting here alone and needing something to do, so I ended up doing a lot of tunes. It's probably everything pertinent you sent me. Yeah. I think you played everything. Yeah. Okay. And we got 11 new ones here. So, yeah. Uh, but before we get to healers, I want to go way back, Jamie. I want to please tell me your earliest musical recollection. Well, the, probably the thing that I mean, I heard music probably since the day I was born. But the first thing I noticed was 
my brother had the 45 of Barracuda by heart. That's what started it. That's what started my love for rock and roll and also my love for the, like, female rocker singers. And how old were you, Jamie? I was three when I heard that. And where was it? Uh, I was probably in my parents' front room or my brother's bedroom or something like that. He was playing the 45. He had the old 45 stacker, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, what town, Jamie? Oh, that was called Orland Park, Illinois. Okay. So you've always been an Illinois man. Great. Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay. In that pad, besides 45s, uh, was there a musical instrument? Were, were, were the people in the pad mainly listeners, or did some people make music? They didn't. They didn't most of them didn't really play. Like, my brother did, like, saxophone in grade school for a year or two, and my sister had one of them zippy-zither things, you know, to harp on the table, and that was about it. You mean, so like, was, uh, auto harp or zither? A zither. It was okay. like one of them little, it was like a harp that you'd sit on a table, and it probably cost, like, ten bucks. <laughs> that's about, as far as people playing, that's, that's about all I know. I mean, I, I think... Um, we had gotten a hold of this guitar that belonged to an uncle of mine that died before anybody was any any of my siblings was born. So there there could have been people that played. I just didn't know anything beyond like my immediate family. But it playing. was it was there in the pad. Yeah, we we got a hold of it at some point. It was sitting there, and it had a broken neck on it. But I used to play oh. it anyway. How? <laughs> well, I didn't know how to play. I just fucked around with it. I mean, if the neck was broken. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was not, you know, I didn't even know what tuning was, and yeah, I, you know, okay. that thing, I, you know, just like hitting rubber bands. Sure, sure, sure. A more of a, more of a percussive thing. Yeah. So, what about school, Jamie? Were you in the band, uh, marching band, or the choir, or shit like that? I did. The first thing I wanted to play in my life was drums. I sat behind a drum set when I was like five years old for the first time, and that that was like mind blowing. There was a drum set at school. No, uh, it was it was a relative who uh, it was a like a grant like a step grandfather that was in a big band and they showed up one time and he brought his drums. Whoa! Yeah, and I sat behind him and I was like, "Holy shit, this is the best thing in the world." Okay, okay. So I wanted to play drums and I did grade school band for like a couple years drums and then we had to move so I just never rejoined. Okay, okay. What about music influence? What was the first record you bought yourself? Well, the, the first LP I probably had was Led Zeppelin II, my, but my brother bought me that. No, no, I want to know the first but, record you spent your own money on buying. What I bought, yeah, was uh, I got into the band Uriah Heep real bit. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I heard one of their albums on Magician's Birthday. Actually, that was because of my brother, too. My brother had a lot of influence on me as far as just playing stuff, li listening to music. Right, right. You know, Mick mix Box, there's one guy left, and there, he's still yeah. going. He's still going. Yeah, he, yeah, he's like 72. He's and the then, only dude uh, left. And then one of the last bass players was actually fucking uh, Spiders from Mars guy, Trevor Boulder. Trevor Boulder, yeah. But we lost Yeah, he, I guess he died, like... We lost him to cancer, wow. Jamie. Yeah, ten years ago or something. Uh, maybe five. But, yeah, something like that. And uh, actually, John Wetton, a lot of guys went through there. They lost uh, 
They had a New Zealand guy, Gary Thane. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, there was a keyboard guy, too, uh, that stayed with them a long time, right? Ken Hendley. That's right, because that made them a little different, even different in Deep Purple. Right. They were always like the other Deep Purple, and yeah. nobody knew, you know. Right, right. You know who was really into Uriah Heap that I met was the guitar player for Black Flag, Greg Ginn. Oh, no kidding. That makes sense. I wouldn't shit you. Uh, so what was the first gig you saw, Jamie? First, besides a wedding band or a carnival band, I knew a guy in high school that was into NXS, and he asked me to go. And I wasn't all that big into NXS. Not, you know, they were okay, so I just went just to just to go. But the first show I went to that I wanted to go to was Firehose '91. Oh wow! How old were you? Uh, about sixteen. Okay. So that must have been <laughs> in Chicago at Cabaret Metro, probably. Yeah. And we walk in, and I see this guy and this girl on stage playing bass, and I didn't realize that was Dose right away. Yeah, there were some gigs where, on tour, Dose would open up. Also, this other duet I had with her brother named Criminy. There, there was one tour where both those <laughs> bands opened up, so it was like I never got off the fucking stage. It was weird. Yeah, you never got a break. <laughs> Well, it wasn't that. It just looked so fucking. Oh, now you can play with me. Now you can play with me. Now, you know, I was just too full of myself. But you know, yeah. I wasn't thinking that. But then, thinking about it, it must digging have been... down the rabbit hole. Yeah, it might have been ridiculous. Here, I <laughs> want to play a dot from Healers. <laughs>
Pedro Show, yeah. We started off that chunk of music with the dot from the Healers. Mr. Tom with a uh, new tobacco album that's coming out of Pittsburgh. Road Warrior Pisces is the name of that tune. Few with synthesized dimensions for Lead and Lie Trilogy. This is somewhere in the back years because she's got a new album coming out too. Minutemen after that, uh, 1985 in Indianapolis, this guy named Paul flowed me a tape and some trippy songs live. No, they were only stuff from like uh, Three Way Tide. We didn't do much, you know, but you hear stories, a uh, tune that Kay wrote, words for it. El Sonio de Mayo after that with Animal Farm Tango. Uh, the original drummer man, Fratello Andrea, tune, no longer with us. Now we have a Fratello Paolo, and we have a brand new album, Terzo, that's going to come out soon. All done. Even the artwork now is getting finished up. Uh, the Hawk after that out of Iowa. The Trinkets. Chris Chappelle's distortion pedal from North Carolina with electricity, blue screens, and silicone. Brand new from No Joy, Birthmark, Augie Y, Missing, and finally, right back, The Healers. So what about the drums, Jamie? About playing the drums? Yeah, I mean, we talked about records and going to gigs and your step-uncle's drum set. And... Well, the, the drums was the first thing I wanted to play, and then later on I, I wanted to play guitar because because you mentioned about... So you let go of the drums. You let go of the drums. Yeah, well, I, I never let... Well, you know, I took breaks. In the end, I came back to all of them. Yeah, right. I got to all of them now. But, but I, I want to get at the beginning. How'd you get, you know, dive into this rock and roll shit? Yeah, well, there was... You know, I got into, you know, there was my brother playing me Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and all that stuff. And then when I was about 15, some friends introduced me to, to the punk, more like the second generation punk, but like Black Flag. I got way into Black Flag. And because of that, I wanted to play guitar because I love Greg Ginn. Like you were talking about him loving the Uriah Heap keyboard. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I love got, Greg Ginn. I got to tell you, Robo was a mean drummer. He still is. Yeah. Yeah, them dudes, most pretty much all them dudes still around, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to be Greg Ginn for about a year or two, and I, so, I, I so joined the store. You, yeah, you went and bought a guitar? Yeah, I got a guitar, and I didn't know how to play, but I would just try to do whatever, pretend I was Greg Ginn. <laughs> and then uh, I, I tried to collect every black flag thing I could find oh. until I ran out. Would you do this, Jamie? Would you try to play along with the records? Sometimes, yeah. Not so much back then, because I really couldn't play shit at all. That came a little later. How did it come? I'm curious. How did it come? Did you take lessons? Did you just just be doing it over and over again? I took guitar lessons. I took a few guitar lessons, like five or six of them. And then... uh, and it was where, you know, one day he'd teach, the guy would teach you a scale. The next day he would say, you can pick a song and I'll teach it to you. And I used to bring him Minutemen songs to learn, <laughs> try to learn the guitar parts. 
Oh, so you stuff. got in the Minuteman too, besides Black Flag. Yeah, well, what happened was I collected all this Black Flag stuff until there was nothing left. And there used to be this place called Record Swap, where that's where you went to find records back then, used stuff and all that. And they had these categories where if you didn't find it here, look over here. And if you can't find it here, here's one more spot you can try. And I just kept searching for Black Flag. And one day I came across this record called Minute Flag. They had other, these other three dudes on it. Well, that's more than three. There's uh, actually seven, right? It's both of well, us. Well, yeah. It was them four and then you three. Yeah. But together. I, but together. Yeah. And I bought that record out of spec. And I'm like, man, that don't sound nothing like Black Flag, but this is intriguing. And then I wanted to hear what just a Minuteman album sounded like apart from the Minute Flag. So I just... Bought a minute, man. The thing first one I bought was uh, the ballot result. It's the only thing I could find for at the time. Which is the last one, a kind of compilation of. Yeah, you know, yeah. Of live of uh, cassette recordings. Now, Minute Flag, you know that was improvised. They had some time off between, because they were recording Loose Nut and In My Head, so they had yeah. us come in there and we just jammed out some stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, not many lessons with this teacher. No, it, it was more just listening to stuff. And like, I guess later on it got to, to be more listening to stuff and just trying to play it. Okay. Like playing like playing Mario Brothers video game. Just fuck around until you find where the treats are and try to remember where the treats were again, you know. But this is man alone. But for the most part, yeah. So when do you decide to, hey, I should get in a band? Well, when I was a teenager, we I had a couple friends that we would go in somebody's garage and like nobody even had a set of drums. There, at first, there was just like Maxwell coffee cans. And sure. anybody, anybody wanted to come over and beat on the Maxwell coffee cans, we let them. Okay. And I knew one guy that had a bass. That's before I, I realized I wanted to play bass. And I was trying to play guitar, I guess. And, you know, it was just horrible noise, but but uh, I didn't really join a band until I was, like, 20 or 21. That's okay. Yeah. What, what was that band like? Well, it was it was actually my friends Jill and Marshall that you met. Sure. They hooked me up for, uh, with these other two guys, Jack Miller and Scott Proper, drummer and a guitar player. And they're like, oh, they're looking for a bass player. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I wish I was a bass player. <laughs> I went over there and did that for a while. Well, where did you buy the bass? Where did I buy it? It was at, uh, oh, yeah, that's another thing. I got the guitar when I was, like, 15. Yeah. And by the time I was about, well, listening to Minuteman, maybe by 17, 18, I decided I wanted to play bass. But I didn't have a bass yet, so I put the pick down and tried to play my guitar and plucked the first four strings like it was a bass. The lower four, yeah. And I got bass, like, five years later. What kind of bass you get? It was a PV okay. at a place called, uh, yeah, I think it was just called the Music Store in a town called Madison, Illinois. And like no, no lessons. You just went for it with what you knew from guitar. Yeah, I, I never had the bass le- any bass lessons. The, the school drums for a couple of years, and then yeah. a couple of guitar lessons when I was a teenager. And that was about it for lessons. So you start playing bass with these guys. Do you get? Do you guys do any gigs? We we did like one gig. What was that like? Point. What was that like, Jamie? 
well, that was the first time I ever did anything like that. And uh, it was okay, I guess. I mean, it was as long as I knew what I was supposed to play, it was okay. But I just looked down the whole time and, you know, no stage presence. Just I'm like, I just felt like a machine there to run the other machine, you know? Yeah, but what was the situation? It, it was, uh, well, the guitar player hooked it, hooked this thing up at a local college called Orthopalooza or something. <laughs> and that was in 96 or something like that. And we just, we were the first ones on. We had like a 22 minutes set or something and nobody was there yet. Like three people, you know. Right. And that was about it. You got to start somewhere. But yeah. you got through it. And you said as long as you knew you what you were doing, it was okay. Yeah. But there was points where you didn't know what you were doing? No, I think that went okay. But, okay. you know, I always got in the back of my head, I'm going to fuck it up. And <laughs> what Did this band have a name, Jamie? That, that was called Treason. Treason? Okay. Yeah. It was, the drummer came up with that name. Okay. And what happened to Treason? Uh, well, the guitar player, we did, we, I only practiced with them for maybe a, three or four weeks before we did that gig. Yeah. And then right after that, the, the guitar player kind of fell out. Okay. And then, uh, so then for like at least another year, it was just the, the drummer and me were just playing. And, and then that just kind of drifted off. Ah, uh, unfortunately. But by then I knew Jill and Marshall and they were, well, they, they, they used to be called Monaco Aqua and then they, they changed it to Vestain. Yeah. And so later on, actually they were the, they were part of that, Earth of Palooza thing. There was five or six bands or whatever, and they were the last ones. So I like uh, I left at one point and went home and had a little motel. <laughs> yeah. Came back and I, and then I'm watching them and they're like I'm looking at them like these guys are kind of like hippies. I should be with them. So so later on I ended up playing with them for uh, kind of off and on for a lot of years. And they were called Vistain. Yeah, they yeah, they are now. Well, tell me about the first gig you did with them? Uh, well, then we never really did anything beyond uh, we did some coffee shop shit, and for a while it was just the three of us. We had no uh, no drummer. There was a keyboard player, guitar player, and a bass player. Wow. And they, they kind of did the singing and I just stood there and played bass, and that was it for a while. And then later on we got a uh, we got a drummer and a singer back. It was actually their old drummer and singer that quit on them before I was there. And they came back. Okay. And you turned it into a five-piece. Yeah. Then we were five-piece. And then as far as gigs after that, the only thing we ever did was threw a couple backyard parties and <laughs> played in their backyard. And we did one or two of them in my backyard. And, and that was it. Well, not really, because you guys kind of became a recorded band like Steely Dan or something. Yeah, we, we did some recording, but there was a whole lot of just just playing around and, you know, we we wanted to get things together. I, I did bass lines for songs they already had. Okay. And, and then, Yeah, I wanted you know, to ask you, what was the difference between playing with the drummer and without? Uh, well, it, it's kind of like a avoid i guess i mean i guess you can do it but but like usually it seems like not all the time but you know sometimes the drummer and the bass player are looking at each other and 
keying each other in and sure, not really worrying about what the rest of the people are doing. Right, it's called the rhythm section, right? Yeah. But but I yeah. ask you that because, you know, Elvis's first trio was just Bill Black on the bass, Scotty Moore on the guitar. Wow. So, yeah, you know, I think it was tough tougher in those days to carry a drummer. Uh, yeah. So I, I was wondering, when the drummer came and, and rejoined the band, was it a little easier or was it tougher? Uh, I don't think it was any tougher. Okay. Uh, it probably helped a little bit. Yeah, to be part and of it. And on the drummer, because, I mean, you got, you know, the drummer's got to be in time, too. Sure, sure, it's a team. <laughs> Sometimes the drummer wasn't in time. Yeah, we know about that. Look, it's the end yeah. of the first hour. August 24, 2020. First hour, Waff Pedro Show. Special guest, Jamie O'Connor. Hold tight for hour two. August 24, 2020. It's the second hour of the Waff from Pedro Show.
There's this guy who sits in a room. He doesn't do anything but just stares at the wall. But every week towards the end of the show, he gets up and takes a pratfall. Sometimes he lands on his face. Sometimes he lands on his butt. But afterwards he's always a little confused, like he don't know what from what. He's that guy in that room. And every week you'll get a sense of your own impending doom from that guy. In that room, in that room, in that room. Yeah. 
lights of glamour They darken by drama By the blues that I sing The song-singing sisters The torch-bearing misters They just come to listen and dream Lights are glowing The champagne is flowing In each customer's eyes There's a gleam There's a weary and weepless Sad-eyed and sleepless They just come to listen and dream And I'm black as the night Rings of blues in the night Somehow they both seem to belong They're the sad-eyed and gay ones The real careful ray ones They hang on to every word of my song Cause I sing about their trunk The fast-fading glamour The blues that I sing is the theme For the song-singing sisters The torch-bearing misters They just come to listen and drink Said the black in the night Brings the blues in the night Somehow they seem to belong They're the sad and the gay ones The real hip hooray ones They hang on to every word of my song Cause I'm singing about their drama Their fast-fading glamour The blues that I sing is their thing They're the soft-singing sisters The torch-bearing misters They just come to listen and dream Blues by the weepers They just come to listen and dream The song-singing sisters The torch-bearing misters
Watch for Pedro. She'll start off the second hour with the healers doing back down. Then Sam Bennett, Birmingham guy living in Tokyo last 20 years. That guy in the in that room. Uh, Cal Portoros after that from Slovenia with Kazani Nahore. No, no, Mancha. Kazani Nahora is from the Plastic People University. Czechoslovakian band from the 60s, huh? Betty Lavette, brand new. Blues for the Weepers. Ivan the Tolerable. Lord Cutglass, he was on a couple episodes ago. And finally, Tinnitus from the Healers. So tell us about the Healers, Jamie. Well, the healers just kind of happened because I I got into a position where I was alone for a long time and I needed something to do. That was about it. That's <laughs> you know, a good I, reason. Like, what's that? That's a good reason. You mean the pride doing music? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I always think that's wanted good to, therapy. Always, yeah, definitely therapy. Okay. So. Yeah. Like some of these people, early members of the Healers, were from Vistain, right? No, not really. Healer, the Healers has always just been just me. Oh, really? I th well, so, so sometimes you have guests. Okay. Yeah, I, I had my one friend, JV, that you met. Yeah, yeah. Imperial Mission and Variable Unison. He, he did a look like on that, that anxiety stuff. He played drums on one thing. Uh -huh. And... Uh, uh, a little bit of like background guitar stuff on some of that. Well, well, let's let's talk about first healers. Right when it started, what was it like? It was just man alone, just you. Well, I sat. My life changed at one point, and uh, I, I became alone. And I sat there for two years, kind of miserable. And after them two years, I realized, well, if none, none of this shit killed me yet. What do I do now? Yeah. So I just decided. And I used to do songs, but it was way far and few in between. I'd be lucky if I wrote one song every two years. Yeah. And then, and then uh, after being there, you know, miserable for a while, and then just bored out of my mind one night, and I decided, well, maybe, I, you know, none of this shit killed me yet. I'm still alive. What do I do now? So <laughs> I just figured, oh, it's, maybe it's time for a music project. So I just started recording shit around the house with a microphone, which is something I used to do as a kid with a tape recorder. It's a big hobby I used to have and I started kind of doing that again recording fucking doorbells and telephones and shit and that ended up being that deep freeze thing yeah the opus thing right right so that was well, just a bunch of toys you, you would use a small machine to record these kind of like field sounds and what, then what you bring them over to the pewter yeah okay. pretty much yeah okay you know Sometimes fuck with them, sometimes not. But just mix a bunch of voice together and wrote a bunch of lyrics. And it be, just became a big outlet for what was happening at the time, too. Well, we should tell people, though, with this kind of technology, it's easy to do sound on sound. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's an easy way to be a hack. Well, or express yourself. <laughs> you don't have to be that crude, Jamie. But the idea where you can like start off with something simple and just start layering it up like a like a cake or a parfait, you know? Yeah. 
in my defense, I had no other band members, so I kind of sure. had to do layers. Sure, sure, sure. sure <laughs> I sure. couldn't do the one-man band thing. Right, I've seen right. people do that, that that can pull it off, well, but I couldn't do that. Prince, Stevie Wonder, right? Dave Grohl's first album. That's all him alone. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I want to play Cranberry yeah. Water. Let it go and 
subject of the blues. <laughs> this is really the downside of the tape, I guess. If you got a, an A side and a B side, this is certainly the B side. Well, I guess I got room left for like two more. This is the most beautiful love song that I've ever heard, and it's very hard for me to do it justice, but uh, I think if you listen to the lyrics, you get the idea. <laughs> Sometimes I feel so happy Sometimes I feel so sad Sometimes I feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just drive me mad Linger on Your pain blue eyes linger on your pale blue eyes if 
If I could make the world as pure and strange as what I see, I'd put you in the mirror and I hold in front of me and I put up in front of me. of you as my mountaintop I even thought of you as my peak I thought of you as just about everything that I've had but I couldn't keep that I've had in this sad life and I just couldn't keep Linger on your pale blue eyes what you said. life completely stuff it down into a cup you know she said you and me were like money and time you know how you lie but you can't stand up she said to be down for you is up linger on your pale blue eyes it all and it was good what we did yesterday and I'd surely do it once again the fact that you are married only proves that you're my best friend and anyway I don't believe in sin
Watch for Pedro Show. Yeah, Cranberry Water, the healers with Deborah Bowen singing. And people, you heard her Saturday with their band, Bouchon. Yes. Yeah, they were great. Yep. Great cats to have aboard and talk to. Uh, and music's beautiful also. After that was Chris Burns out of Canada. Well, a couple things out of Canada. Chris Burns with the new U. Swenson Klein with Coffer. And then uh, from Detroit, his name is Alive. Cicadas and Piano. <coughs> I think he's got something new coming out this week. Peter Lochner from the old Cleveland scene after that with Pale Blue's Eyes. Great Velvet Underground tune. And then finally, Eight Years, The Healers. So, the bar is singing on this. Is it a recent tune? Yeah. Okay. Very recent. Yeah. Want to talk about it? Sure, you can talk. <laughs> I got her here, but she's, she's shy. No, you can talk. Go ahead, Mark. Just say hi. Hi, Mike. Yeah, good, good to be talking with you again. So you got drawn into the healer's world. Yeah, we sucked her in. Okay, do you remember, was this the first uh, tune that you did with him? Actually, yeah. I've, um, I've always admired his music for a long time, and we always talked about how we wanted to do music together, but we never predicted when. And it was just one of them nights where he was playing bass and I love the bass line. And I'm like, hey, keep playing that and start writing to it. And he started layering a bunch of stuff and it ended up being cranberry water. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a cheesy bass line. Yeah. No, it wasn't cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> cheesy is good, good as I can play. Well, we were I think the point is, the point is, you guys uh, composed it together. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had a tune, Jamie, and you brought her in. It was like you guys actually composed this together. Yeah, we we just messed around, and yeah, it wasn't something that was already pre-done or whatever the word is for that. <laughs> but, yeah, we just we just hanging out one night and just picked up the bass, and she said, keep, "Keep playing whatever you're playing." And I'm like, "I don't know what I'm playing, but I'll play whatever I'm playing." And she started writing lyrics to it, like with Bujan. Yeah, well, you know. like his name is Alive. This cat, he's worked with a lot of women singers, but I think he brings them in, you know, after he has the tune and has him sing stuff. This is different. This sounds a little more organic. Yeah, for sure. And so, <laughs> so probably healers kind of take it another direction. It, it's possible because the weird thing about Healers is it was all it was all a loner thing. I, I, I too mean, many of the songs I wrote were about being a loner in the first place. That's what and I'm saying. Now I'm not really a loner. So. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. pretty reasonable. It would be taken a different direction. And uh, because I wanted to ask you about the composing part for Healers, is it the bass line usually first? Uh, it's it probably for the most part. But some of them started with guitar or keyboards. Now, I ask because I'm a little partial to bass, and I like to compose about 90% of my stuff on bass. So that's why I ask. Yeah, it's probably mostly that. Because, you know, with a lot of cats, bass, except reggae or some R&B and stuff, bass is the last thing they put on. Yeah. 
That's ass backwards to me. Yeah, you know, I'm really interested in this idea as the bass being a composition tool. Yes. Why not? And it, that's what I learned about you 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember you saying, you know, I like the right bass lines to where if, if the bass line ain't there, the song falls apart. Well, yeah, that's like, uh, that's what I learned from James Jamerson. I mean, it seemed like his bass playing was so critical to the Motown tunes that you had to have them. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't know the process. You know, they had producers come in, songwriters, and the, the Funk Brothers were there. You know, they'd get the... I, I read somewhere that he'd get handed chord charts, but he said, man, when the song came down, I just played to the music. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, feel comes first. I would, yeah, well, in a perfect world, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's always, time yeah, that way, yeah. Well, there's always the theory or the ideal yeah. and then what actually really happens. But, yeah, yes. that, that, you know, I can only just imagine what it was like at Hitsville and sitting there in James Jamerson's seat. But, man, could that guy move a song? Could he move a song with a bass guitar? I mean, we all owe him that work that machine well, that's the way <laughs> oh, yeah. i feel look look we're at the end of the second hour august 24 2020 edition what pedro show special guest jamie o'connor hold tight for our three august 24 2020 it's the third hour of the what for pedro show <laughs>
dream, June 17, 2019, between 5 and 8 o'clock p.m. during a nap. Narrated by the voice of Jamie Robin Richardson. Just had a lost adventure dream. Was driving the old van around that in reality has been sitting here in the driveway for the last seven years. The van started to overheat. Ended up in what was probably an old bicycle I used to have, known as the 442, that I bought at age 12 from a garage sale back in the day, for $4.42. Was in a town called Stager, which was only a few miles away from home. Was trying to find Stager Road, go up to Cottage Grove, and then home. Ended up going down and down and down through these neighborhoods. Some of these areas were not good ones. They painted a picture of much doom and gloom and depressing decay got into a few dead ends and then had to fight off a few crazy people by picking up the bike and beating the shit out of them with it as I swung it at them. I hit one guy so hard that it knocked off one of his legs. For a moment it started to seem as though I was starting to enjoy swinging the bike at him, hitting him hard a few times and finally knocking him to the ground. I was finally winning. I then got back on the bike and rode right over him. After that the guy somehow got up again and was still coming after me but this time he had a long rifle shotgun pointed at me. At that point, I knew I was no longer winning, so it was time to pedal hard and get the hell out of there. I had a few dreams before about being in a car with someone else driving, and they were driving right through buildings. In this dream, however, I crashed in and out of a few buildings on the bike, right through the walls the same way. I remember closing my eyes a few times to not let broken glass get into them as it fell down all over me. The areas I was pedaling through became more and more poor and depressing. Couldn't figure out how all this area that was only within a mile or two away from home could have existed without me ever noticing it. But that's how it always seems to be in these lost dreams, and sometimes while lost in real life as well. If I can get lost in real life eight miles away from home, then damn sure this can happen in a dream. At one point in the dream I thought, this is like playing the old game pitfall, where there seemed to be no end to it. A few minutes before the dream ended, I started telling myself to wake up. That has been something that's been happening a lot lately, where I know, or at least I'm pretty sure I know I'm dreaming, in the dream. I can usually tell because there's this darkness and or fogginess in my vision and in my head, and I'm pretty sure it will end once I wake up. Almost felt like I was waking up at one point, but I must have fallen back to sleep and the dream kept going. That too has been happening more lately, where I wake up, fall back asleep, and the same dream continues. Finally, I got to this old church. Some old people were standing outside, and I asked this old lady if I could go in. At first she said no, like I didn't belong there, but then allowed it after I explained to her that I was lost and just trying to find my way home. Once in the church, I then proceeded to ride my bike up this creepy hallway that had a couple of stairs, a flat spot, a couple of stairs pattern, gradually going upwards more and more. It was a weird, creepy hallway, like right out of a creepy movie, with old fluorescent lights, some of which were broken. The stairs were lined with what looked like old Berber carpeting from a restaurant from the 60s or 70s. Finally got to the top of the stairs and saw what looked like an old laundromat. Immediately, the laundromat became this dark bus stop. It reminded me of my trip to Millennial Station last November that I took on the Metro train. I didn't even know it was a bus stop until someone had led me onto something that I finally realized was a bus. Someone on the bus introduced me to this younger, pretty boy-looking dude. I shook hands with him. 
Didn't know who he was, but I thought to myself, maybe he's a god. I then realized that I had boarded the bus without the bike. I saw what I thought was the bike parked next to the bus through the bus window outside. And just as the bus started moving, I asked the bus driver, who was this old lady with white hair, to please stop and let me go out and get my bike. The driver said she didn't see the bike. I looked out the window again, and what I thought was the bike turned out to be an old beat-up shopping cart just sitting there. At this point, I'm pretty sure I knew in the dream that this happens all the time in my dreams, where I lose the car, then the bike, and sometimes I end up just walking aimlessly with no direction. So I said, screw it. Hopefully I'll finally get home now on this bus. The bus seemed to be going up Stager Road towards Cottage Grove, which in reality is in the right direction home. I started thinking again that I'm dreaming again, and I just need to wake up, which is another thing that's been happening, where I know I'm dreaming and I try to get myself to wake up in the dream. Never did make it home in the dream, which always never happens in dreams, but then made myself open my eyes in the dream, and the dream ended. Finally, laying on my bed on my back, I saw the ceiling fan in my bedroom, and I was finally home. Once I was really awake, I went on Facebook, and the first thing I saw was a post from my niece Lorraine about Zdzisław Bedzinski, a name I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, who was a Polish artist who immortalized his apocalyptic nightmares in paintings. I've never been religious, but this has to be the most religious dream I've ever had. from Pedro's show start off the third hour with the healers doing the uh, retitled unwedding song after that crane with divine intervention followed by lunatics on parole with NRA victory wire lions born to fight pussycat and the dirty johnsons this is brand new uh, out of England, L- living in my bed. Here's one of these bands, you know, two guitars and a drum. And, sh- you know, no bass player. Wow. I- I'm always thinking that poor, lonely kick drum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no Sure, kidding. there's more room in the boat. He's a friend. Poor, lonely kick. And then finally, the healers with Lost Drain. So, uh, you know, you start off healers, you were recording doorbells and shit like that. <laughs> but do you use, uh, and as, this is a, obviously it's not the machine that's recording all the other stuff of the sound on sound. It's something that you can hold in your hand and move around. But do you use that like to make memos or, uh, or kind of idea, jot down uh, like little melodies? Like just the weird sound effects? No, no. This shit ain't even going to be used. Uh, directly, it's more like kind of a scratch pad, like you know, well, dum da dum, dum dum da dum. You know. <laughs> Probably half and half. You know, some of it it just accidentally got used, or accidentally it worked. You know, um, actually that deep freeze thing. The first thing I recorded was yeah. I got a window in my bedroom that would howl when it, when it was a windy night. Yeah. Stuck a microphone in there and recorded like five or six, like twelve-minute tracks of just that. Whoa! And that—that that was like the palette of the beginning of that thing. Sure, sure. So that's the yeah, that's the actual the phenomena is the actual piece of uh, music. Yeah. 
And, and that goes through that hole. There's a wind track through that entire thing. Well, I asked that because I started doing this, Jamie. I got a little recorder thing that I keep in my pocket now when I do my hobbling by the waterfront, the crack of dawn. And because before, you know, like Minutemen days, you're talking about my my earlier days. I'd, yeah. I'd be sitting there with the bass in my lap and working out licks. And probably starting with my first opera, Complete Ninja Room, because that's why I started riding bicycle again after 22 years. Yeah. I... I didn't. I was writing music without the fucking machine actually in my hand. So I was kind of making it up my head. That was kind of new for me. Yeah, that's a big problem I have is remembering anything. So you know, like the, the idea of the little recorder, right? Yeah, I, I never had like for a while. I had an old like one of them Walkman recorder yeah. things. Yeah. Like sound activated things, you know, start playing it or, you know, just jot down an idea. I still got tapes probably from 10 years ago I never even listened to again. There could be shit on there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> beginnings of whatever, right? Here, I, I yeah. want to play lower level here.
for Pedro show last music for this edition me and Jamie were discussing I mean this song from the healers is called lower level and we're talking about the bass guitar it's kind of the basement of the band the foundation yeah it's got to start from there yeah you can build the tune right yeah you can build up you can't really build a house from up down to the down yeah yeah good point and then after that birth of future something live from uh, Pikachu Makado, that's uh, Pikachu from Aframpo, and a Makado son from uh, Acid Mother Temple, Acid Temple Mother, you know, Acid Mother's Temple, and uh, I think they got a 20-year age difference, yeah, somewhere he wrote, it's like playing with my daughter, (laughs) (laughs) it happens, (laughs) it happens, there were some rappers that was, uh, years ago it was a guy and his mom oh yeah but remember spirit i don't know i got a line on you babe they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're from the late 60s early 70s in fact they're yeah. suing uh the people that are left are suing led zeppelin for stealing a song but <laughs> uh the i think the drummer was randy Kell, the guitar band's stepfather he's like 40 years older than him or something yeah. Yeah. So sometimes that happens. That's all right. You know, time yeah. is just a circumstance. And finally, well, the, the healer's doing anxiety 102 deleted. What's that about? <laughs> deleted? Yeah. That was when I did the free anxiety therapy for the poor thing in 2017. That was just a. And, and I should tell you, I had to cheat on some of this shit because you're like, come up with 11 songs. I'm like, oh my God. Right. So I went back in my vault and I just did a couple things that weren't finished. Yeah. So that was like a uh, a thing that didn't end up making the anxiety album. <laughs> yeah. And so I, it's the music is all the same from three years ago. I just redid the the vocals with my femaleish. Sure, sure. Imitation but, voice that I do. <laughs> but you know that's the great thing about having a reservoir of material, right? Yeah. Why not recycle? Why not repurpose? 
Well, right. It, you know, and you save those things just in case of, well, whatever, if I ever yeah. have nothing to do and, and go back to this shit one day. And then I guess, you know, doing this show was a was a really good reason to go back there. Yeah, because, well, what it is, there's like 11 bookends. That's why I asked for 11, if you count all the, you know, breaks with the spiel and stuff. And I want to yeah. give uh, the listeners a chance to get, you know, to know the music side of my guest. Right. So that's the idea. It wasn't really put stress on you or anything. No, that was fine. I mean, because, you know, at first you're like, oh, you can do it. And I told Deborah that. Well, I knew you could do it because you've been giving me <laughs> buttloads of songs for years. <laughs> I'm like going, oh, come on. But then I told Deborah, and I'm waiting for her to go, yeah, that's that that's hard. And she's like, she said the same thing you did. I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, you know, people, you. <laughs> but I got to tell you, people who... It's hard to explain people who don't have it, but if you get bit by the music bug, it's just hard not to see the world without some kind of music, uh, kind of tinted glasses. Yeah. Uh, okay? It's, it's some weird result of the infection. I don't know. It is an infection. That's but, for sure. but it's it's hard to explain to other people, right? Because it's, it's a, a, an aesthetic thing, you know? And aesthetics really... There's no one way for everyone. Everyone's got their own, you know, what they value as beautiful or not. Or they might change your mind down the road, right? Or some Aesthetics is trippy. It's all chemistry and circumstance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the Absolutely. And, you know, and it's not just sounds. It can be visuals with like with painting or it could be with literature, with poems yeah. or, or story. There's all kinds of ways us humans uh, express ourselves. And sometimes you just get caught up in it. And, uh, yeah, so you might say to somebody else that you would like also caught up in it, get into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, Start your own band. That's probably, <laughs> well, she was probably saying that in her own way. Yeah. Now, what's next? Another project. Uh, yeah, I guess more projects until uh, until death it's all like. So, now, I guess no, you know what I, that. What, but Jamie, you ain't set up a band camp yet. Yeah, I do. Oh, you do. It. Tell people where can they find you on the internet. It's just healers. Well, there's healers at band camp and. Okay, people, you gotta understand. Healers is spelled H E E L E R Z. Yeah, because there's a there's a high healers that's like an R and B band that I found. When you're trying to think of a name for a band, you you wanna especially nowadays because we can Google shit. You go around and see if there's other bands with that name. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So, so go over there. Yeah, I'm such an idiot. I didn't. Well, you've been sending me all the music. That's why I didn't go look. But people, go over there and look. And pretty soon it seems there's going to be new tunes. Uh, if I heard uh, Deborah correctly. Yeah. Well, Deborah, me, we're going to, like the cranberry thing. We she she suggested that I send that. Okay. And, but that the project with us is probably going to be called Miko. <laughs> that might be a later thing. Is, okay, is Miko. Miko. I'm waiting for it. That's, a, that's about taking off the Miko, like becoming unhuman or some shit like that. Okay, okay. Well, Jamie, it's been a big honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much, truly. And when you yeah. get to some more Miko, when you get some Miko recorded, will you send yeah. it on over and then maybe come on and we do another talk? Totally. Okay, great. As long as you don't mind. Keep on, keep on, on, Jamie. Keep on, keep on. Right on. Same people, here. it's been August 24, 2020, Dishwap People Show. Keep your powder dry.